0: Uh, for, for those of you who were here last week, you would have heard my, um, if you like, my introduction message to where we're going over these next few weeks um, in sharing on the family values. And you would have heard me sharing and speaking about, you know, society has values, um, families have values, um, your workplace has a value system of... You do your best, you care for others, you do, do unto others, the biblical principle, do unto others as you want them to do to you. But church, as a church, we have values that we hold dear to and believe are very important in our life. And today we're going to look at our first value. And our first value is that we are Christ-centered. All of these are we-ars, ares. right? We are Christ-centered. And I believe it's really important that we understand what it means to be Christ centered. If you were, if you went to an antiques roadshow and you took with you um, a painting that was handed down over the generations, but nobody really knew where it came from, and along you came to the antiques roadshow and you presented your old antique painting, and they just, oh, wow, where did you get that painting from? Oh, it's handed down for my great-great-great-grandmother and uh, no one really knows where it comes from. Oh, it's a Picasso. It's the long-lost Picasso we've been looking for. It's suddenly you found that this picture that was up in the loft gathering dust is a Picasso priceless and it's in your house. You may sell it or you may place it on the most prominent part of your living room wall. You may put it in a safety deposit box. Let's not go with Picasso. All right, this is just a hand-me-down from Grandma. All right, a hand-me-down from Grandma, but it has personal value. It It goes on the center part of the wall in your house because when Grandma comes to visit, you want her to see that you value her painting. Will that work? Please help me. The painting would go on a focal wall. If you walk into my mum's house, there is the most beautiful picture of the Haywain you will ever see, and it's done by an impressionist called Jeff Wood. <laughs> but it's there for everyone to see. They walk into my mum's house and they see my painting. It wasn't a painting by numbers. It was, it was my first artistic work, and my last. I, I need to bring this painting for you to see it one day, all right? If you go and visit my mum, you'll see it. Margaret, you've seen it, yes? You didn't, you didn't follow on by saying it's fantastic. It's, it's very good, I'll take that. I'll take that because I I, I, I failed in art at school. So uh, it was my excuse because God had said, you will feed my sheep. I heard it as an audible voice, as clear as day, the top of Sedgley Grove, you will feed my sheep. And I said, with what? Because I didn't read the Bible. And then I went home, I told Jane, and she said, well, you better get into God's word. And I, I knew I needed to get into God's word and... And then I had this wonderful moment in my life, and I thought I could paint. I'd never painted in my life, never drawn in my life, and I decided I was going to paint. And it—it it was the enemy's way of distracting me from God's word. And I just painted. I, we couldn't afford paint. You know, we—we we, that was this is not the era when we were poor. We—we we couldn't afford paint. I couldn't afford a canvas, so I found a—it's a piece of—it was wallpaper. I painted that. On a piece of wallpaper, and it's still going today. (laughs) On my mum's wall. Anyway, a masterpiece. Centerpiece of my mum's house. The dictionary defines the center point as this. The center point is an area, person, or thing that is of most importance and pivotal. That is the center. To be centered... To be the center focus is to have Jesus Christ at the center of our life. When he is at the center, then everything else is on the peripheral. When he is centered at the center of our finance, it's what his will is to our finance. When he is centered in our family, it is his will regarding our family. When he is centered in our social life, our social life is centered around him. When Christ is centered to what we say or how we say things, then we say things seasoned with grace and with the, with, with the kindness on our lips. That's what it means when we allow Christ to be central to our life so are we Christ centred that's a really good question because as Christians as Christians the whole word the emphasis of the word is Christ like ones so you would think when you call yourself a Christian and those who you meet and those who you speak to and you're saying I'm a Christian you're saying I'm christ-like when they look at you they shouldn't be scratching their heads thinking really is that what he was like they should look at you and say yes i see something of christ in you remember the bible says christ in you the hope of glory that's what being a christian is is christ-centered in all that we do In other words, we're committed to keeping Jesus and his kingdom at the center of our lives and at the center of his church. Because remember, this isn't my church. In many senses, it's not our church. It's his. It's always going to be his church. Throughout the New Testament, you see over and over again how Peter, Paul, and Jesus... Spoke about what a Christ centered life looks like. In John chapter 15, it speaks about the vine and the branch. And we as believers are the branch and he is the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. But the emphasis is there is a branch and there is a vine. When the branch is a part of the vine, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens us. The key is, he's divine. He's central to all the branches. Yeah. And in our life, being connected to him means that the life that is in him flows through the branch of our life. Keeping him central. The Apostle Peter, when speaking about the living stones in his book, in First and Second Peter, he talked about living stones being built together into a spiritual house. As believers, we are the living stones and Christ is the chief cornerstone. What are we saying here? Our lives, our stones, each one of us are living stones. But Christ is the cornerstone upon it which all of us are built. Without the cornerstone, we are just stones. Doing our own thing. He is central and we are built in him. And then we see Paul. Paul is speaking and he says in 1 Corinthians, and he's speaking about the body. You know, there are many members, all working in connection with the head. What is he saying? The head is central, and we, being the body, need the head to be central in our life. Believers are the individual members. Jesus is the head to live the Christian life. We must remain connected to Him. So over and over again, the Bible uses pictural language or imagery that shows how central Christ is meant to be. The cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Oh yeah, there's many rocks and many stones, many living stones. But there's only one chief cornerstone. Oh yeah, there are many, many branches. Absolutely. It's not just us as a church. There's the church up the road, the church around the corner, the church throughout the world. But there's only one vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. And it's always remembering that He is central to our Christian walk. Christ, A Christ-centered life is reflected in the way we think, how we live, and the way we relate to others. We can't just say, oh, on a Sunday, I'm going to be Christ-centered. On Sunday, I'm going to bring Christ into the center of my day, and I'm going to go to, go to church. That's not what it means. That's tagging him on to, to a moment in, your, in, our, in our lives. It's a case of every day is a Sunday in that sense. Every day is a God day. In our lives. Someone defined a Christ-centered life like this. A life that is focused solely upon a commitment to Jesus Christ. The Son of God. As Lord and Saviour. A life that is, a life that's sole purpose is to honour and glorify Him forever. I guess as we take a moment, is that a true reflection of my life? That my sole purpose, the only reason I'm here, is to honor and glorify him. The only reason I'm still here is so that I can honor and glorify him. Do you know what? That really has got to be the call of each of our lives. Because that means that we are allowing him. We're allowing Christ, the anointed one to be at the very core of our life the words that we speak the way that we think the ways in which we respond to others that are around us the ways that we respond to our husband or our wife the gift that god brought into our life are are we allowing christ to be center in our communications Would someone listening to your conversation think they must be a Christian, or they are questioning? What are they, and what do they represent? Do we add confusion, or are we the light to their path? I think it's just really interesting that we we are Christ-like ones; we are Christ-central in our thinking. But are we Christ-central in all that we do? See, whenever Paul spoke or wrote to the churches in the New Testament, he continually underlined the importance of being in Christ or Christ being in us or having Christ at the core, the cornerstone of our Christian walk. Philippians 3, verse 8, the first scripture we're going to look at this morning. He says this, And when you think Paul was well-versed, he was well-trained, he was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees, he was trained under the leadership of Gamaliel, he, he, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And then he says this, Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. This is a man who really understood what it was to have Christ at the very center of his life. He said, I've lost everything. At what stage in our life... It's a horrible thought to think, all right? At what stage in our life could it get to where we would say, God... I'm turning my back on you. Here he said he lost everything. Maybe he had a house and he lost it. Maybe he had a job and he lost it. Maybe he was very successful, which I believe Paul was very successful, and he lost it. What happens if he had family who believed before he believed? And he lost them. What If he lost everything, as it says here, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That is a man who put and had a a Christ-centered mind, heart, and life. I pray that none of us will get to that point where we say, okay, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, this has happened to me, forget you, God, I've had enough. But you know what? I know people who have done that journey. But Paul didn't. He said, I may have lost this, and I may have lost position, and I may have lost this, and I may have lost my place in in the Sanhedrin, and I may have lost my place um, of, of honor and respect amongst my peers, and I may have lost, and I may have lost, and I may have lost... But he said, I have one thing that they can never take from me. And that is a Christ-centered heart. Because no one can take that from you. They may take your freedoms. They took Paul's freedoms. They locked him up and put him in a prison. But they couldn't take the Christ out of him. And he still worshipped in the middle of his prison moments. They could have they put him, they put him on islands, of the old island of Malta, <laughs> after a shipwreck. But he, the, the island and the, and the snake bite didn't take it, the Christ out of him. He let the anointed Christ in him that was central to his life destroy the work of the, 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 the python, the adder, the whatever it was that came and bit him. He had authority that he walked him. Why? Because he knew Christ was central to his life. How do we live a Christ-centered life? We live it by knowing his word. His word is true. That the Christ one now lives in me and you. Paul is saying everything was worthless in comparison. In comparison to having Christ, nothing compares. Is there things in your life that you look at and you think... Well, wow, maybe I'll do that another day. Maybe I'll get involved with God things another day. And maybe I'll serve one day. But right now, these things are more important to me. I tell you what, there is nothing more important than living for Christ and living out our Christ-like life for all of our days. That's why I think, in my personal opinion, one of the greatest testimonies that you can ever have as a person is. I grew up in church. I came to know Christ when I was young. I've never wanted to walk away because he's been central to my life. To me, that is far better than me running around with a Magnum Python gun, wanting to blow the kneecaps over the drug dealers and, and living a loony life. To me, to have that love of God from a young age and never wanting to depart, to me, is the greatest testimony because it shows the love of God is so great in your life. What is it in our lives that truly captivates our hearts and our attentions? So I'm going to throw a few things out. Is it our religious thinking and performance mentality? Maybe you've grown up with a religious mindset where you've got to be doing, you've got to be, you've got to, because if you don't do enough, you don't please God enough. And and you've got into a religious mindset that if you don't pray enough or spend time enough or read enough or, or be enough, that God, for some reason, is not going to love you enough. But that is just a religious performance mentality. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And there is nothing you can do in life to be able to get him to love you more. There is nothing that you can do to get God to love you more than he does right now. Isn't that amazing? Marius, he loves you with an everlasting love that is so high and so deep and so wide that it cannot be compared to anything else in our world. And every one of us are included. In that kind of love. But for some, that religious mindset or performance mentality, it can become more important than actually just acknowledging Christ loves me. And we can get into this danger of doing rather than being before God. There may be some in the room you say, well, you know, what is it that captivates my heart? What is it that takes most of my time? It may be a better paid job. Or for some, it may be, it's about making ends meet right now. Because we're living in difficult days. And therefore, I'm worried about this and I'm concerned about that. And I I don't know how we're going to do this. You don't know how. But trust Him. When God is central... When God is central, anxiety and worry cannot stay. Fear cannot stay. When we allow him to be the ruler, the one who reigns in our heart, fear cannot stay in the presence of God. It's so important that we position him. That's why I love that last song. Our God reigns. Christ-centered, you know, in the many senses, the queen in her reign and her rule allowed the centralness of God to be a part of her journey. Are we allowing him to be central and part of ours? For some in this room, you may be captivated by thoughts and, and areas where you just want to get your house up together. There's so much work that needs to be done. There's so much painting, there's so much renovations, Or you want to move to a nicer area so it's all about doing more overtime so you can have the nicer house that you want. Let me say this to you. We're only here for three score years and ten and if by power of use we want to live longer, he will grace us with the ability to do so. So you're here for 70 years, maybe 80, maybe 90. If you live to 100, congratulations and well done. But in the light of eternity... I'm trying to find the smallest. Ah, here we go. Someone, there we go. In the light of eternity, this one speck on our large carpet is what your life on here on earth is like. Stop worrying about here and now. This life goes far too quickly. I'm only young. I only feel young. It's only when I look in the mirror or walk past a shop and I look and I think, what? You look like that? <laughs> I was at the football on Monday night. The guys play football on a Monday night. Anybody, any other guys that want to join us on a Monday night, you feel free to do at the leisure centre. We meet there at 8 o'clock. And I'm standing there and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I, can't, I can't wait to get on the pitch. And, and they had equal sides. So I didn't play this week. And When, it, when it's equal sides, they don't want me. Don't, don't, get, don't, get, don't get distracted. When it's equal sides, they don't want me. When it's unequal sides, they say, oh, come on, play. And then I regret it for a week. But, yeah, there we go. Uh, anyway, well, I don't know where I was going with that. Don't get distracted. We're only here for a short while. I don't know who the oldest person in the room is. But the older you get, the quicker the time goes. Six week summer holiday when I was a kid went on for eternity until the last three days, and they went bang. It's like, I hated school, I didn't want to go back to school. It's like, ah, but life now is going so fast, and my grandchildren have grown so quickly. You know, it's just unbelievable. Teach us to value our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. It doesn't say that I may apply my heart to financial increase or to my better job or to a this or to a that or to to whatever. It says that I may apply it to wisdom, to doing what you want me to do. We can spend our life doing our best for our kids, but our kids miss out on our best. That's profound. <laughs> That's not on my notes. Uh, Thank you, Lord. (laughs) I thank the Lord for profound moments. Don't ask me to repeat it either. Someone wrote it. That would be good. Don't miss out because we're always trying to do something else. Value the moments that we're in. Allow Christ to be center. Are we distracted by hours of gaming, social media, or gaining more likes? Looking around the room, probably not most of you. Some of you. Charlie, do you like games? At your age, that's fine, I guess. But I'll tell you you what, when you get to a certain age, in many senses, like Paul in the Bible says, we put away our childish things and we gave our life to living for God. There's got to be a moment in our life that we say, time is running out. I'm further this side than I was my youth side. It's now time to put perspective in and become more Christ-centered in what I think. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Colossae. He said this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, the way in which you received him at the beginning of this journey So walk in him. I wonder what our lives were like when we first encountered Christ. And then he says rooted. So that's established. That's getting your roots down. And established in him in the faith. As you have been taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. As you receive Christ, continue to walk in him. Don't add things to it. Don't become complicated in your Christian walk. But allow what? That freedom. When that moment you receive Christ's forgiveness. The joy of your salvation. That moment of connecting with him. And knowing that your past has been forgiven. And there's a beautiful future ahead. Live that way. That's what Paul is saying. I've got three thoughts here. Is knowing Jesus our greatest desire you can do a checklist 1 to 10 all right is is knowing jesus our greatest desire is living for jesus our greatest pursuit is speaking about jesus our greatest joy if you can say yes to those three thoughts you're probably living a christ centered life if this is Christ-centered, and this is your one, two, five. And then there's five more over here. If you're on a one to two, no, he's not really my greatest pursuit. He's not really the one that I speak about with great joy. He's not my greatest desire. I just fit him into the business of my life. He's not Christ-centered. But when you look at this, my greatest desire my greatest pursuit and my greatest joy, I can guarantee you're living a Christ-centered life. In many ways, the Apostle Paul said a very similar thing, but in a very different way when he was addressing a group of people up on um, the, the mountain at Athens. And he says this in Acts 17, Acts 17 verse 28. He says this, for in him we live and move and we have our being. As also some of your own uh, poets have said, for we are his offspring. For in him we live, we move, we have our being. That's a Christ-centered life. Christ is central. To the universe in which we live. Not heaven. I'm not saying heaven. If, if it wasn't for Christ. This world would. Poof, the universe would. Poof. When you think light. When, when God said let there be light on day one. Light. He didn't say stop. He, he's never said stop to light. He said light be. And light was. And for all the years of history, light has been traveling 186,000 miles per second. 100, just about 186,000 miles per second. Light, And, and scientists say, our oh, universe is increasing. Yeah, you, you can guarantee that. And I can tell you how fast it's increasing. 186,000 miles per second. Why? Because if it wasn't for God it would all fall apart because he's upholding all things by the word of his power. That is God central, Christ central to our universe. He's central to the church. If you ever wonder why the church managed to get through the dark ages, how it got through the time of Henry the 8th, how we got through some of the dark moments in history and how it still survives today is because Christ is central the moment man puts his fingerprint on what's God's it begins to fail i tell you what that that i hold loosely <laughs> cuz this is his church He called me to be the pastor, the shepherd of the flock. Absolutely. I am the lower shepherd. He is the great shepherd. You know, another analogy of sheep, shepherd, um, and him being central to our life. But I hold loosely the church because it's not mine, it's his. I, he said, he said, I will build my church. Do you know what? I want to. I want to be one of the builders who he's using to build his church another analogy another imagery he's the builder we are the laborers this isn't this isn't ours he's the groom we're the bride another analogy without the well, there's not going to be a wedding without the groom but we're the bride of Christ it's it's throughout the bible He's central to everything. And he should be central to our lives personally, but to the church collectively. And he needs to be the center of our lives. Living a Christ-centered life is putting Christ at the very center of all areas. And I came across this scripture and I thought, okay, it's the message, right? I'm not a great lover of the message to preach from, but I'm going to share a scripture. I'm not going to preach from it. I'm going to share this scripture. Psalm 34 verse 2 reads in part, I live and breathe God. (laughs) That is short and sweet and straight to the point. If you are living a Christ-centered life, I live and breathe God. Let that be our testimony. I live and breathe god do you know what how, how much sweeter our relationship would be if only you would live and breathe god no, no i'm only kidding <laughs> i'm only kidding if we if we the royal we if we would live and breathe god think about your relationship i'm not, not going to stand there in front of any other couple if we live and breathe god what a difference Now let's look amongst ourselves. If we, as the body of Christ, live and breathe God, how much more unity, oneness, there will be in the house of God. If we live and breathe God, can you imagine what it would be like at work? Oh, there he goes. The breath of God walks past Okay, I'm in my blue jeans and I'm working at work. But hey, the life and the breath of God has just moved past because he lives in us. It's just being God inside conscious. We are his dwelling place. He now lives and abides in us. That is just amazing that he would choose you and me to make his home so as christians we need to be christ-centered but our mandate as pastors and leaders is to keep christ at the very center of his church this is his church our worship is to him alone Even if the words may talk about our journey and how we feel and what may be going on. Do you know what? It's still all to Jesus. We surrender. His word, the Bible, is his love letter to us. We will never add to or take away or bring in an addition to. This is his word and it's his word that we hold to. Our prayers are simply us acknowledging our need for Him. It's not a vehicle to try and change God's heart. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about communicating with God who He is to our life. Asking, yes. Praising, yes. Thanking, yes. Talking to, yes. But prayer is an acknowledgement. We need you in our life. Our outreach to others. Is because he first outreached to us. When he died upon that cross, he said, I wish that none perish and that all would come to a knowledge of the, of, of the truth. Jesus died. For you and I. He reached out into our world 2,000 years later. And we came to know him. Do you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to take his message into our world. Into our community. And show the love of God to them in in this generation. Why? Not because we want to build our church. But we want to build his. Our giving is to establish his covenant here on the earth. Not so that we can make ourselves rich, but that so we can enrich what he said he would build. Our church gatherings aren't about building a kingdom for ourselves where we pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, didn't we do well? It's about saying, Father, this is yours. How can we build with you? It's us fulfilling what he, Jesus said he would build. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. We want to build according to his blueprint, which is Christ centered. Christ centered hearts, Christ centered lives, Christ centered words, Christ centered homes, Christ centered in our community, Christ centered when no one's watching except you and yourself, wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, knowing that you are a Christ centered individual. Let me ask one last question, or can I ask you to ask yourself this question: Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? How can this message change my life? Because I don't want—I I, I am not here just to entertain or to preach or to earn my money, however way you want to look at it. This is this is what i am called to be the pen of a ready writer and what the spirit gives to me i'm going to bring and the way he brings it to me is the way i need to bring it to you because i need to be me but i have to encourage you to challenge you because you will always be your greatest preacher what is the holy spirit saying What areas do I need to change to be more Christ-centered? To move from a one or a two or a three or maybe a four position so that I become Christ-centered in my thinking. So that when I'm Christ-centered, I go on to be a six, a seven, an eight, a nine. Where my life is consumed by Him, for Him, through Him, unto Him, surrendered completely. What is the Holy Spirit? Same to you. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know what it's like to have that masterpiece of a picture to be the focal point of your wall. Because that's who Jesus is to me. He is my focal point. He is central to my life. And same with many of us in this room. He is what we live for. He is the one that we've given our life to. Just as he gave his life to us. But today you may be here and you've not known what it means to fully give your life over to him. Or to say in your heart, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. When you hung upon that cross... You became the focal point of the whole world. Do you know what? Whenever, whenever anybody sees the cross, they know it belonged to Jesus. But there are many hundreds of thousands of people that were killed on crosses back at that time. Why Jesus? Because he's pivotal to the Christian faith. There's been many people, it was a form of execution, it was an executional mo- method. It could have been an electric chair. Why don't we? When, when people look at electric chair, they don't think of Jesus. When they, they think of a, uh, other forms of execution, they don't think of Jesus. But when they see the cross, which is a form of execution, people think of Jesus. Why? Because he is central. Christ's cross. Christ crucified. When Jesus hung on that cross. He hung there for you and for me. He gave of himself so that our sins would be forgiven. That we would begin a new life in him. And today we may need to make some changes that brings the cross of Christ central to our life. So that we live for him like he wants us to. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let's, we're going to pray this prayer. We pray it most weeks, but today we're going to pray it because you may not have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You may not have placed him at the center of your life. You may have had a religious experience where you've said, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe that, that, that there must be a supreme being that will not get you to heaven. Acknowledging Christ crucified, for your sins and mine is what gets us to heaven. When you knock on the pearly gates of heaven, you cannot stand before Jesus and say, well, I lived a good life. I, did, I think I did well and I was kind to people. That is not what's going to get you to heaven. If you want to know what gets you to heaven, if you like the password that gets you to heaven is Jesus. It's not going to be good works. It's not going to be, I behave myself. It's not, I didn't do any sin like the r- young rich ruler who deceived himself into believing he had done nothing wrong. When we get to heaven, your password through those pearly gates is what you did with Jesus. And whether you made him Lord and Saviour. Lord, and so many people say, I make him my Saviour, but he will not be my Lord. What does Lord mean? It means Adonai. Adonai means master. In other words, we've never bowed, bent the knee and made him the master of our life. Or brought him central to our life. We all want him as saviour. But not everyone's made him Lord. Today is about us making him Lord and saviour. going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm asking you if you join me in just repeating the prayer after me. And um, if you pray it sincerely and genuinely in your heart, I don't want just hands going up. That's not what I'm about. It's about genuine decisions for God. Then pop up your hand after we prayed this prayer together. Jesus, we come to you this morning. And we acknowledge that you are Christ. That you died upon a cross for me, for us, And for the whole world. Today Lord Jesus. I confess you. As my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And give me that brand new life. I ask in your name. Amen. While every head is bowed and every eye closed. If you've never prayed that prayer before. Or you've never prayed it like you prayed it this morning. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand. One, two, three. If you're making Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, just pop up your hand this morning. Is there anybody in this room You say, yeah, that's me. I do want him to be the very center of my life. Lord and Savior of my life. I see many of you. I know you. I know your journey. I know your walk with God. But right now, I'm going to ask one more question Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Father, I pray as we ask you that question, help us. Help us to be real, to be honest with that thought. How can I be more Christ-centered? And what are you speaking to me? Lord, that we would, all to Jesus, surrender. That we would bow our knee in total submission and allow you to shine brightly in and through our lives. In Jesus' name.